Thanks for tuning in. I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. and welcome back. We know that some of you are here for the paranormal, and some are here for the lores and legends, and others are here for the true crime. And since it's been a while, we figured we'd uh, hit you with some true crime, and we're going big today. But first, I think we have a review. We sure do. We got got a sweet-ass review from Dr. Donna, and it is titled, Fun with a five-star rating. She said, I stumbled upon this podcast completely by accident, and I thought I'd listen to at least one episode. Really love it. You two are really funny and tell stories in a great way. Feels like listening to friends. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Donna. Thank you, Dr. Donna. You're our friend. And are you really a doctor? Because that would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Dope as fuck. Give us the insight on these true crime cases, because we are... (laughs) Not doctors. I am a burrito doctor. <laughs> you gotta grab it by the bottom. Firmly grasp. Support the bottom. Um, support the bottom. Grab by the mid. Um, and bite. And bite. Mm-hmm. Also, out if context, you need more hands, call a friend. Out of context, this is very... <laughs> strange. Very strange. <laughs> Listen to our other episodes to piece that together. <laughs> Sorry. But back to it. I... But, <laughs> We love you, Dr. Donna. <laughs> the Burrito welcomes you. So, the case that we're going to be talking about today is super high profile and was sensationalized all over the internet. Now, not saying that this case is any more important or more interesting or worth more of our attention than any other case, but its popularity stems from the time that it was running rampant online when all of this conspired due to a perplexing video, which we will dive into later. So if you didn't already read the title, today we're talking about Elisa Lam. Now to this day, nobody knows exactly how Elisa Lam died. There are tons of theories, and this case has a, become a source of fascination for internet sleuths who think they know exactly what happened. I myself am one of those <laughs> aforementioned internet sleuths. However, this still remains an unsolved case. So we have to be respectful of Elisa's family who have to deal with this every day of their lives. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to lose a sibling or a child or any family member for that matter and not know exactly what happened during their last moments alive. So, with that being said, I'm gonna provide you with the facts of this case and the most popular theories of what happened to Elisa Lam. I'll probably insert some of my opinions as per usual, because I can't not. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I am qualified by any means to make any sort of assumption as to what happened to this poor girl. Disclaimer. That was a nice disclaimer. You, you covered everything I very sure thoroughly. <laughs> no room for loopholes on that one. <laughs> Don't sue me. So, who was Elisa Lam? Elisa Lam was a 21-year-old Canadian woman who lived in Vancouver with her parents, David and Yina, and attended University of British Columbia. She was a blogger and was quite often on social media. She even had her own Tumblr page filled with photos of fashion, feminism, classic novels, film noir, impressionist painters, and modernist architecture. She loved to write about her thoughts and personal experiences and share them online. She found comfort in writing. On January 13th, 2013, Elisa posted that she booked a flight to California on what she called her West Coast tour. She planned to explore some of the state's most popular cities, such as San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and San Francisco. 
Elisa's family obviously had their reservations about their daughter taking an impromptu solo journey to California and tried to reason with her not to go. However, despite their wishes, Elisa convinced them to allow her to go as long as she promised to call them every single day and let them know that she was safe. So on January 22nd, 2013, Elisa embarked on her journey. And at the beginning of her trip, it was pretty great. The first stop on her West Coast tour was San Diego, a popular beach town in Southern California. She enjoyed the sights, lounged around the beach, savored many of the city's cheap eateries, and made good on her promise to call her parents every day. The second stop on this West Coast tour was Los Angeles. Elisa arrived in LA via Amtrak train on January 26th, 2013. She planned to only stay a few days before moving on with her trip up to Santa Cruz, another beach town. Upon her arrival to Los Angeles, Elisa checked into the Cecil Hotel. Now, the Cecil Hotel is pretty infamous, but not for good reasons. Its popularity stems from its morbid and dark history. The Cecil Hotel opened in 1927 and was considered a pretty grand and luxurious hotel at the time with over 600 rooms. It was supposed to be a destination hotel for international businessmen and social elites, but just two years after the Cecil Hotel opened, the world was thrown into the Great Depression, and it hit Los Angeles hard. Soon enough, the hotel fell quickly into decline, and the area around it became home to thousands of homeless people, eventually leading to the area being dubbed as Skid Row. The area quickly found itself being populated by junkies, runaways, and criminals. The hotel obviously couldn't make a profit with its high rates and its new inhabitants, so in order to keep the business coming in, the Cecil became a budget hotel, offering extraordinarily low prices for its rooms. This obviously attracted a certain type of crowd of people to stay there, some even taking permanent residence in the hotel. Unfortunately, the seedy crowd attracted a lot of illicit activities to the hotel, such as prostitution and drugs. Worse yet, the Cecil Hotel ultimately earned a reputation for violence and death. Throughout the hotel's existence, there have been at least 16 deaths from unnatural causes, whether accidents, murders, or suicides. Now, I'm not gonna go through every single one, but if you do have the time, I recommend taking a look because some of them are fucking wild. So if you wanna take a gander, they're all listed on the Cecil Hotel's Wikipedia page. Take a look, it's fucking crazy. Or watch the uh, fucking Supernatural, not Supernatural, uh, Ghost, Ghost Adventures. Adventures. Come fight me in the dark! That's the one with the, isn't that the one with the fan? And the fan, like, yeah, the fan gets moves. Thrown. And Zach's like, oh my god, we've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yep. That's like the worst Zach impression I've it ever sure done. Was. Like, <laughs> it works. It works. I mean, that was it. It was the, the, the fan through, the I gist. think. You get it. Just watch Ghost Adventures. And just when you think the Cecil Hotel is bad enough, you might remember us mentioning the hotel back a few episodes when we covered. Oh, Richard Ramirez. Yeah, he was one of those seedy characters that lived there. In 1985, Richard Ramirez lived on the top floor of the hotel for just $14 a night. After killing someone, he would throw his bloody clothes into the Cecil's dumpster and just casually walk into the hotel lobby, either only in underwear or completely naked. Oh, wow. Back then, the hotel was in such a disarray that Ramirez's actions probably never even raised an eyebrow. And believe it or not, Richard Ramirez wasn't the only serial killer to take up residence at the Cecil. In 1991, Austrian serial killer Jack Unterweger also stayed at the hotel. Now, if you don't know who Jack Unterweger is, in short, he's the guy who murdered women, got sentenced to life in prison, gained fame by writing about it, convinced people he had reformed, won early release, then killed again. <laughs> like, Basically, the Ted Bundy that Bundy wished he was. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. this dude had everyone convinced that he changed, and he had thousands of supporters campaigning for his release. Basically, once this dude got out of prison, he murdered eight more people within the year, all the while he was being interviewed on talk shows and praised both as a model of prison rehabilitation and a brilliant writer. Mm -hmm. 
Prison really did good there. (laughs) He was also hired, too, by an Austrian magazine, and even Times reported on the very killings that he did. Some people are just charismatic, though. Like That's why I said, like, he was the Bundy that he wished Bundy was. He's just so just... Like, Bundy was already charismatic. Yeah. This, like, but Bundy still had to break out of prison. <laughs> Literally, like, people said that he had changed because he found art and blah, blah, blah. It was just, it's fucking insane. We'll cover him at some point. But eventually, his work brought him to the United States to stay at the Cecil Hotel. He was to report on the terrible conditions suffered by American prostitutes, but instead, he'd sneak out at night and murder the local prostitutes. Eventually, law enforcement closed in on him and he committed suicide, like a little bitch. But anyway, the Cecil Hotel obviously did not have a great reputation. So this poses the question, why in the hell would Elisa decide to stay there? Well, back in 2011, the Cecil attempted to shake off its macabre history by rebranding itself as the Stay on Main Hotel and Hostel with a $75 per night rate for tourists. Now, if you're not familiar with what a hostel is, it's just basically shared lodging. So if you're a tourist on a budget, you can stay in a room or a dorm with strangers to save money. It seemed like a great idea, but a city ordinance threw a wrench into these plans, requiring the building to designate at least half of its units for low-income tenants. Basically, the riffraff still got to stay there, while half of the building was being marketed as the hippest boutique hotel in Hostel in downtown Los Angeles. On their website, they even advertised an Xbox game room, a Netflix movie lounge, and free Wi-Fi to all of its customers. So let's put ourselves in Elisa's shoes for a minute. So she's 21 years old and traveling by herself. She's obviously on a budget. She's looking for the cheapest hotels that she can stay at. And again, she's only 21 years old. She probably isn't doing much research on the hotels or areas that she's staying in, let alone really care. And even if she did, the Cecil Hotel had rebranded itself. So let's say that she was looking online at like that Google Maps thing of hotels. On the map, it's gonna say, stay on Main, not Cecil Hotel. So if she Googles stay on Main, the history of the Cecil Hotel might not come up. And even if it did, she was from British Columbia. I'm not such of an ignorant American that I think everyone in the world knows what the Cecil Hotel is or the history of it. So she might've just been like, oh, looks like they changed their name and they're under new management and just continued on. So quite honestly, I think she just looked around for cheap hotels in the area and that was really that. So on January 28th, 2013, Elisa checked into the Cecil Hotel. Elisa continued to document bits of her journey on her blog and continued to call her parents every day. However, on January 31st, she didn't call home. Her parents called the hotel to check if anyone had seen her, but no one had. Worst of all, it was the day that she was scheduled to leave the hotel, but she never showed up to check out. Her parents were alarmed, so they decided to contact the Los Angeles Police Department. LAPD attempted to search the premises of the Cecil Hotel, but Technically, since there were tenants living in the hotel, they were unable to obtain a warrant to search every room without probable cause. So they were only able to search the common areas, the rooftop, and Elisa's room. Inside Elisa's room, they found some of her belongings, a watch, and her laptop. The room was also in almost perfect condition. Nothing seemed to be ransacked, so robbery was quickly ruled out. However, there was one item of value that was missing, Elisa's cell phone. Police dogs were called in, but they were unable to detect her scent. It quite literally seemed like she disappeared. A week after Elisa had last been seen and with no further breaks in the case, the LAPD decided that they needed more help. So on February 6th of 2013, flyers with her image were posted in the neighborhood and online. This is what started to get the public interested. Then the following day, police held a press conference on the case, which was covered both in local and national news, even further putting Elisa's case into the limelight. But what catapulted this entire investigation was on February 14th, 2013. The LAPD released surveillance footage of Elisa taken from inside of an elevator in hopes that someone would recognize her. 
Now, the video in itself is pretty fucking bizarre, and the clips on YouTube have hundreds of thousands of views on them. Watching the video is typically how people end up stumbling upon this case. People honestly know the video more than they know the facts about the case. But if you haven't watched the video, I'll do my best to describe it for you. So the video starts from inside of the elevator. The camera is in the rear corner looking down from the ceiling. The door opens and Elisa enters, wearing loose black athletic shorts and a red hoodie over a gray t-shirt with sandals. When she gets into the elevator, she bends over to inspect the control panel where like the floor numbers are, and she presses about three or four buttons, one after another, all going down in the same row, and then quickly stands back up straight. She backs up into the corner of the elevator and stands there. It's unclear whether she was waiting for the doors to close, which by the way, they never did, or if she was frozen because she heard someone coming or talking. Either way, Elisa slowly steps forward to the elevator doors, takes a giant step with her right leg and peeks quickly around the elevator, whipping her head to the right and then left and then quickly steps back inside. She stands still for a few seconds and then quickly and almost melodically sidesteps and presses her back against the elevator wall. Then she sidesteps once more into the corner of the elevator between where the control panel meets the wall and just kind of stands there for a minute. Here we can say with almost certainty that she was trying to hide, but from who or what, we don't know. Unfortunately, there were no other working cameras in the hallway, so this is the only footage we have from inside the elevator and a small sliver of the hallway outside of the elevator doors, but that's it. Elisa stands in the corner for only a few seconds before stepping out towards the doors again. This time, she stands right on the edge in between the elevator doors where the floor meets the hallway, and she leans against the wall, kind of like she's listening, and then takes a long step out in the hallway and then quickly does this shimmy thing to her left, almost as if she's about to go, aha, like, and see someone. But then I don't think anyone was there because she looks away and backs back up into the elevator. But only this time it was for literally a second and she comes back out from the elevator and steps to the left and leans against the wall. Now in this shot, she's outside of the elevator in the hallway and she disappears from view for a few seconds, but then comes back into frame. She stands still for a moment and then raises her arm and it looks like she's like grabbing her head because when she turns back around to enter the elevator, both of her hands are on either side of her head, almost in like this exasperated way. And then she walks back into the elevator, holds both of the doors almost as if she's trying to like stabilize herself and then heads back to the elevator buttons. And this time she pushes multiple buttons again, even more times than the last. She's just repeatedly pushing buttons for at least 20 seconds and then turns back and goes back outside the elevator. And she stands in the exact same spot as we see previously to the left of the elevator doors out in the hallway, leaning against the wall. Now this is where the video gets really strange. Elisa turns to the right and starts to do this really weird hand motion, like the motion you do when you're walking and it's dark and you're trying to like feel, feel your around. Way. Yeah, like her palms are flat and her fingers are outstretched and she's doing this like kind of paddling it. thing. Yeah, Ugh. while like bowing forward and like kind of rocking gently. And we can see her face, but due to the grainy footage, we're not really able to tell if she's smiling or clenching her teeth or crying, but she does this for a few moments before doing this weird shrug motion, and then she brings her hands up as if she looks like she's counting. So she sticks a finger out and holds it, and then like kind of bends down while she does that, does it again and again. So it looks like she's going one, two, three. And then she stands there for a moment, and then she grabs her head, and then she walks away never to be seen again. Now, the video goes on for a few moments longer, and then eventually, finally, the doors close. Now, this footage was from January 31st, the day she disappeared. The video almost immediately went viral. It was reposted worldwide throughout the US, 
up to Canada, and all the way to China, where Elisa's family was originally from, making its way to the Chinese video sharing site Yoku, where it got 3 million views and 40,000 comments in the first 10 days that it was posted. Countless theories started pouring in from drugs to hallucinations to mental breakdowns. Some even theorized that something paranormal or supernatural happened, like demonic possession. But... Unfortunately, even with all of these theories, nothing brought investigators closer to locating where Elisa was. Life continued on, and the hotel continued its business as usual. Over the course of the next week, the hotel started receiving complaints about the water pressure being low. Now, this isn't unusual since the hotel was, again, not in a great area, and due to the normal crowd that typically stayed there, the hotel often received complaints. However, these complaints continued to be persistent. Some even claim that the water was discolored and had an unusual sweet taste. Oh, okay. I'm not I'm not going to like where this is going, huh? No. Uh-uh. Eventually, the hotel decided to finally investigate these claims. On February 19th, 2013, hotel maintenance worker Santiago Lopez was sent to look into the water issue. He made his way to the roof where four 1,000-gallon water tanks were that provided water to the hotel rooms, the kitchen, and a coffee shop. Lopez grabbed a ladder and scaled up the side of one of the 10-foot water tanks. Once at the top, he noticed that the lid to the tank was open. Oh, no. So he walked over and looked inside. Floating in the water was the nude body of a deceased woman. And that woman, if you haven't pieced it together already, was Elisa Lamb. Los Angeles Fire Department quickly arrived onto the scene where they had to drain the water tank entirely and then cut a large hole into the tank in order to retrieve Elisa's body, which had already begun decomposing. Once Elisa's death was announced, the story caught fire, especially online. It only fueled the mystery surrounding Elisa Lamb's disappearance even further. How did she get onto the locked roof and into the water tank? Did Elisa drown herself? Did someone murder her and dump her body? Was she under the influence? Or was all this just some horribly unbelievable accident? Initially, Elisa's autopsy was only expected to take six to eight weeks to complete, but wasn't released until four months after Elisa's death. So in June of 2013, the L.A. coroner's office determined that there was no evidence of physical trauma. Not a lot of Elisa's blood was preserved, so whatever toxicology tests that could be done showed that there were no indications of alcohol or illegal substances in her body. However, the toxicology tests revealed part of Elisa's life that not many people knew about. Elisa was struggling with mental illness. She was previously diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression, but her family confirmed, although she was struggling, she had no history of suicide attempts. But Elisa did talk about her struggles with her depression and bipolar disorder on her previous blog that she had prior to her Tumblr called Ether Fields. There were many posts where she wrote about her troubles actually, and you can still view this blog today. You can also view her Tumblr too, However, it's been archived, so in order to view her posts, you have to click on the archive button. But when you first come upon her blog, it's actually, like, poetically creepy. Like, her Tumblr page is completely white, with her Tumblr title, Nouvelle Nouvelle, and underneath that is a quote from American novelist Chuck Palahniuk that reads, You're always haunted by the idea that you're wasting your life. Just the fact that she likes Chuck Palahniuk as a as, as an a writer, author um, kind of tells you something. Yeah, that kind of gives you. It's a little a, telling. It's a little telling of what type of person you are, and also telling of what type of person I am that I know more <laughs> than just Fight Club from Chuck Palahniuk. So her blog post confirmed that she was struggling with mental illness. Her family even confirmed it. They also confirmed that she was on multiple medications to help with her conditions. So. I'm going to try to list them. Oh, gosh. Okay. So she was on Dexedrine, which is a stimulant for ADD or ADHD. Uh, she was on Bupropamine, which is a typical antidepressant. She was on 
lamotrigine, which is a mood stabilizer for bipolar disorder. She was on quetiapine, which is an antipsychotic for schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and major depressive disorder. And then finally, she was also on venlafaxine, which is an antidepressant prescribed for major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social phobias, things like that. So all of these drugs were found in her toxicology report. However, without going into like mega hardcore detail, it doesn't seem like she was taking her drugs as strictly as she should have. Drugs like these, they have a lasting effect after you take them. Mm. So they basically have a life with inside of your body. So for instance, after taking a pill, it has a certain countdown or time until its effects are gone. And as the effects wear off, so does the percentage of the drug inside of your body. Now, based on when Elisa should have taken her pills last versus the percentage that was found in her body, it just doesn't add up. Percentage-wise, it seems that she had taken her venlafaxine at least 15 hours prior to her death. Her quetiapine, though, her antipsychotic, was found to have a 0% concentrate in her blood, which leads us to believe that she wasn't taking it. Now, it is possible that she might have been trying to wean herself off of these drugs, but we can't be sure. And just FYI, guys, if you are on any of these medications or similar ones, please do not stop cold turkey. You have to wean yourself off of these, and more importantly, seek medical advice to do so. And if you are struggling with similar illnesses like Elisa, sometimes it does take a lot of trying to get the perfect cocktail blend of medications that work for you. So just don't give up. But anyway, if you want to look at a super in-depth explanation about these drugs, their effects, and what exactly we can assume from Elisa's toxicology report, go on YouTube and search for MedBros video, Student Doctor's Answer to Elisa Lamb's Unexplained Death, which is literally the longest title ever, but I guess you know what you're getting into when you click on it. So he makes a point in that video that Treating bipolar disorder with antidepressants risks inducing manic side effects if done so without caution. Watching the footage of her in the elevator and looking a little closer at her movements, mm -hmm. it does seem very similar to what you would see from someone suffering a manic episode. With that being said, this might be the most plausible theory as to what happened to Elisa. Hotel manager Amy Price's statement in court even further corroborated the story. Apparently, when Elisa first checked into the Cecil Hotel, she was booked in a hostel-style shared room with others. However, there were multiple complaints about her odd behavior, and Elisa was eventually moved to a private room by herself. This could have been a result of her improperly taking her medications. With all of this information provided to investigators, her death was classified as an accidental drowning, and the case was closed. But we still have so many unanswered questions. How did Elisa get in the tank? Let alone, how did she get on the roof? Investigators announced that they determined no foul play, but the world remains divided. Many people think that Elisa was murdered and dumped, claiming there was no way Elisa could have made it up onto the roof herself. In court, Santiago Lopez, the maintenance worker who found her, described in detail exactly how much effort it was for him to even get up on the roof and up to the water tank. He had to take the elevator to the 15th floor, then walk up a staircase to the roof. Once through the door to the roof, he had to immediately turn off an alarm. Then he had to climb up on the platform where the hotel's water tank sat on. Then he had to climb up another ladder to finally get onto the top of the main tank. The hotel's chief engineer, Pedro Tavar, also made it very clear that it would be extremely difficult for anyone to access the rooftop, especially with the alarms. Only hotel employees would be able to deactivate the alarm properly. If Elisa had gone up to the roof, the sound of the alarm would reach the front desk, as well as the entire top two floors of the hotel. But the roof doesn't have a fire escape? However, mm. internet theorists and people who have even been to the hotel themselves point out that there were three other routes Elisa could have taken, all of which fire escapes, that she could have accessed through hallway windows. 
There were no triggering alarms on them, so she could have very easily climbed out a window and gone up. But this poses the question, wouldn't you think that someone would see some girl climbing multiple floors of fire escapes? Well, again, the Cecil Hotel is not in a great area, and people saw weird shit happen there all the time. Hence, naked Richard Ramirez. So, Mm -hmm. if someone did see her, they probably didn't give it a second thought. Let's say that Elisa did get up on the roof. People wondered how she was able to climb up to the top of the tank. No ladder was found against the water tank while the police were up there investigating. But my counter-argument to that is... It's a roof Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I'm assuming the hotel ladders are probably stored for convenience. Elisa might have seen a ladder, grabbed it, and used it to climb up. And then people argue, well, how was there no ladder leaning against it when Lopez or the police found Elisa? Well, you figure two whole weeks went past from the time Elisa was missing to the time she was found. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly plausible that a hotel employee was up on the roof, saw the ladder, and just simply put it back where it belonged. Another argument that people have is there's no way a 21-year-old 5'4 girl was able to open and close that lid herself. Someone else must have done it. Which, first off, is slightly offensive to me (laughs) because these lids to the water tanks only weighed 20 fucking pounds. So... You think that this woman wasn't able to lift 20 fucking pounds? Right. Like, I'm five foot and I can lift 20 pounds. That argument is absolutely ridiculous. Invalid. Short girls can do things. Invalid. (laughs) And furthermore, the lid was never closed. When Santiago Lopez found Elisa, the lid was open. I think this, to me, is more telling than not. Because you figure, if someone murdered Elisa went through all of the trouble of getting her up on the roof and into the water tank, don't you think they would close the lid? Exactly. One would presume that if her body was in a water tank, then her murderer was trying to hide her or keep her from being found. So why not take the extra step to close the fucking lid? Yeah. They put the ladder away they used to climb the tank to dump Elisa's body, but didn't close The lid. One of the most popular theories is that the murderer was someone who was familiar with all the camera locations of the hotel and was able to keep from being caught on footage, either being a permanent resident that lived inside the hotel or being an employee. It seems to be most widely believed, if you're on the she was murdered train, that it was a hotel employee, claiming that that was the reason why the elevator doors never closed in the video that someone was holding them open to fuck with her, I guess. People believe that the video had been tampered with before making it public. They say the timestamp of the video is clearly obstructed, parts of it have been slowed down, and nearly a minute of footage had been discreetly removed. People even say when enhancing the video, you can see that there is obvious pixelation over Elisa's face and mouth during certain times. Clearly, someone wanted to hide or remove something from the video. However, the LAPD claims that the video was not altered in any way, and the footage was actually given to them in its entirety, and they were the ones that combed through hours of footage to finally find something with Elisa on it. Now, police have left the reason for Elisa's death as undetermined. We know how she died, but not why. Police seem to lean pretty hard on the fact that she was bipolar and suffering from depression and just killed herself. However... I don't know. There's just something about that that just doesn't sit right to me. There are plenty of ways to kill yourself, but believe it or not, drowning yourself isn't a popular one. Mm -mm. Statistically speaking, when someone wants to kill themselves, they pick a foolproof method. OD, gunshot, jumping to their death. Something that once you do it, you can't back out. Typically, people don't drown themselves because... It's not like you just go into the water and drown. You float in the water and you tread it for hours until your body finally succumbs to exhaustion and you just sink below the surface and drown. Yeah, your body has fight or flight. You know what I mean? It's It's a very long, drawn-out process. Like people, That's the reason why people don't drown themselves is because they want something that's going to be quick and easy. Plus, if you go into the water, you can always come back out unless you're in a tank. Unless you're in a very large tank that's 10 feet tall. 
However, people argue that Elisa was actually in good spirits when she was at the Cecil and wouldn't have wanted to kill herself. In fact, there was a nearby bookstore, ironically enough, called The Last Bookstore, where owner Katie Orphan claimed to see Elisa the day she went missing. She recalls Elisa being very friendly and talkative. She remembers that she was buying gifts for her family back in Vancouver and was talking about if it was going to be too heavy for her to carry around or to take back home. Katie said, and I quote, It seemed like she had plans to return home plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound like someone who was planning to commit suicide. However, manic episodes can make people do very strange things. Another argument that people use that she was murdered was the fact that her phone was missing. People claim that, obviously, there was evidence on the phone that implicated someone, so they took it. This theory stems from the fact that her Tumblr was posting after she was found dead. Now there are posts in February, March, April, June, and then finally in December of 2013. Now this does seem odd. However, Tumblr actually gives you the ability to schedule posts ahead of time. And Elisa always updated her blog and made sure that there was always content on there. So I think that she probably just scheduled Pre-scheduled it yeah. and would, yeah. Besides, I think that if some murderer stole her phone, probably have better things to do than just share Tumblr posts about fashion. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean that someone couldn't have just stolen her phone and destroyed it. But there is a Tumblr post that she made in January during the time that she was in San Diego claiming that she lost her phone. The post reads... The speakeasy was awesome, except I lost a cell phone. Sigh. So from this, we can deduce that while in San Diego, she visited a speakeasy prohibition type bar and lost her phone, whether she misplaced it or someone stole it. Either way, it seems like her phone was lost long before she came to Los Angeles. People also argue that someone murdered her due to a little known fact in her autopsy report. So in the report, the coroner concluded that there was a subcutaneous pooling of blood, which means a bruise, Mm -hmm. in Elisa's anal area, and her rectum was also prolapsed, which I know this is TMI, but that means that your rectum is literally protruding from your anus. Yeah. People use this to back up the theory that this was a sign of sexual abuse and someone had raped Elisa and to keep her quiet, killed her. However, the pathologist noted that the the bruising could have been a result of the drowning and that the prolapse could have been a result from the body bloating and Mm -hmm. just the decomposition. Unfortunately, we'll never know as the autopsy report never mentioned the results of a rape kit or a fingernail kit or if they were even processed at all. Now, it is plausible that maybe due to the state of decomp her body was found in or the fact that she was pretty bloated from being in the water for two weeks that they didn't have the ability to perform that analysis. I mean, it was hard enough for them to even try to find a blood sample to perform a toxicology report. But either way, it's one of the many mysteries of this case that remains unsolved. Now, as you can imagine, this case has been picked apart inch by inch within the true crime community. It's quite baffling because a lot of evidence doesn't point either way or another of either murder or suicide. As I mentioned, it's most popularly believed that she was murdered. People theorize that she had made friends with either a tenant or a hotel employee and that she made plans to meet him on the roof that night. Uh, It's speculated that the person then raped her and either killed her to keep her quiet or accidentally killed her and then dumped her body in the tank to get rid of the evidence. Some people believe that in the elevator video, she was actually intending to ride the elevator up to the roof with someone and purposely press the button to hold the door open, waiting for them. Some people say it seems like she was even playing hide and seek with someone and not trying to run away from her pursuer Mm. because her face doesn't seem scared and her actions are rather slow rather than someone who's trying to run away. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. Like, this is just Shelby moments. I know, but if you watch the video and you think about that, the only part of that that would make sense to me is the part where she kind of, like, jumps out of the elevator and goes, like, ha! Yeah. Because, like, maybe 
like how if I were to try to scare you, you know, like that's but that's the only part of that that would make sense. But it was later noted that on the control panel that one of the buttons that she pressed was in fact the button to keep the door open, which apparently does so for two minutes. So people go on to theorize that when the person she was waiting for arrived or found her, knowing that there was a camera in the elevator, they refused to get in. So she stepped outside of the elevator, talking to them, gesturing to them, before they finally convince her, hey, let's take the fire escape up. It can't be completely ruled out, as we have no other footage to prove otherwise, And on Elisa's blog, she did make a post while she was up in San Diego. And the post said, After all, I like my home comforts. And every now and again, I do something entirely impulsive and reckless. Like tell a guy I just met that I like him. Could she have met someone at the Cecil and recklessly told the wrong person that she liked him? This quote from Elisa also poses the question, Could she have acted alone doing something reckless? Did she get the idea to sneak up on the roof for whatever reason? And while she was up there, did she see a ladder and the water tank and have this reckless, impulsive idea to take a swim? Did she lift the lid and jump in without realizing the water level was a lot lower than she thought it was? Once she was inside, only then could she have realized her mistake, that she was too low to reach the opening to pull herself out. Yeah, no, I definitely 10 out of 10 believe that. Yeah, now this, in my opinion, is the most troubling of theories to me. To think that this all was just a terrible accident and that she was in that tank for who knows how long, screaming for help, but no one came. This theory would make sense of the fact that, you know, the lid was still open. But a fact that counteracts this theory is that Elisa was found nude with her clothes floating next to her. Why would she have taken her clothes off? Some argue that she removed her clothes because they were weighing her down and made it harder for her to float, which makes sense to an extent. I can see her taking her basketball shorts off and her hoodie and even her shirt, but how much could a bra and underwear really weigh you down? Well, maybe she was thinking about trying to make a rope, try to pull herself out, you know what I mean? It's possible, but... You know, people do strange things when they panic. She could have, you know, just thought maybe I'll make a rope from it and try. But people also do strange things when they're in a manic episode, Mm -hmm. which could be the entire explanation for the case. She could have been having a mental breakdown, somehow found herself on the roof, taking off her clothes and jumping into a water tank. To me, I can see credibility behind the theory, especially when given the fact that she wasn't taking her medication properly. And looking at the video, it does look like someone who might be experiencing a psychotic breakdown, but it just doesn't add up to me how she would have ended up on the roof in the first place. Like, why in the middle of a psychotic breakdown would she think to climb the roof and then think to climb a ladder and then think to climb another ladder and then think to go... Like, it just... Mm -hmm. the, The mental process to me just doesn't make sense. But another theory that people have in which... I'm honestly not going to dive too far into this one, was that she was playing a Korean elevator game, or sometimes called the hide-and-go-kill game, (laughs) which I'm literally eye-rolling so hard right now. Like, I know you can't see me, but I need you to know it's there. Apparently, the purpose of this game is to take you to another world. Mm. Um, you You have to be alone, and you have to be in a public elevator with more than 10 floors, to which Elisa was. You have to go to the fourth floor, then once you're there, you have to go down to the second floor. Once you're there, go back up to the sixth, and then back down to the second, and then back up to the tenth. All the while, not saying anything to anyone if anyone gets in. And then once you get to the fifth floor, you're supposedly a woman will enter the elevator, and you're not supposed to look at her or talk to her, because she's not human and she can kill you. I don't know. That is the weirdest game I have ever heard of. But once she enters, you take the elevator back down to the first floor, and then eventually the elevator will either ascend or descend by itself and then take you to another world where you step out and the lady is supposed to say, where are you going? And you're not supposed to look at her or talk to her either. And you go out and you're in another world and you hang out there and fucking come back. I don't know. Some people say that this is what Elisa was trying to do. 
So in order to play these games, you have to hit the buttons in the order that you want the elevator to take you to, which can only be done one at a time. Like Mm -hmm. hit a button, go to the floor. Hit another button, go to another floor. Otherwise, if you mash all of the buttons at once upon elevating... It's going to take you in order. Yeah, it's just going to take you in order. So... As and as you can see in the video, that's what Elisa did. She entered the elevator and she just pressed all the buttons at once. So she's not playing the game right. And then um, the final theory um, that I honestly don't like to acknowledge was that she was possessed. And as much as I love all things paranormal and love to blame things on the paranormal, I just cannot justify even giving this theory any thought. And I think it's rather distasteful and tacky to say that the spirits of the hotel took over her body and killed her especially since her family is still fucking trying to solve what happened to her and get answers and justice for her like there yes there might be something bad at that hotel something negative something feeding off the negative energy or you know causing bad things to happen but I'm not gonna go as far as to say that there was sort of demonic possession that killed her Mm-mm. especially when there's so much facts behind it of you know her depression her bipolar disorder it just i'm not gonna entertain the theory any further so in short many many things remain unsolved about elisa's death the evidence doesn't get us any further to figuring out what exactly happened and unfortunately i don't believe we're going to be finding any new evidence on this case to bring us any closer there are more questions than we have answers to on this case, and it's become an obsession for some people, which is understandable because even for like typing this up, it's such a wild ride because you lean to one way where you're like, oh, well, she was having a manic episode. Well, okay, that doesn't make sense. Well, maybe she was murdered. Oh, well, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't they close the lid? Oh, maybe she just jumped in and took a dive. Oh, well, why was her clothes off? Like, it's just... There's so many things to counteract each theory that it's easy to understand why people get obsessed and figure out what happened, but... I think another reason why it's such a famous case, um, and a lot of cases like this are famous, especially like the Brian Schaefer case, it's Mm -hmm. because it's the last uh, recording of someone being alive the same day, moments before they um, disappear or, or... it's very God, chilling you know. and disturbing to know mm-hmm. that the footage that you're watching of somebody is their last moments. Yeah. Um, and, and especially then not knowing how they come to Right. An end. Like the Brian Schaefer is like when we covered him and really he's going up the elevator into a bar and, mm-hmm. and that's all you see and he doesn't come back out. Where I mean, I understand that's like creepy or whatever, but in this instance too, it's strange because In the video, no one can fucking figure out what the hell Elise is doing. Like, why is she pushing all these buttons? Why is she... Is there someone in the hallway? Is there someone in the hallway? Is there not someone in the hallway? Is it just her on her own? Right. And she... Yeah, no one claims to have seen her during this time. Whereas, at least with Brian Schaefer, he was with his two friends. Yeah. One guy definitely killed him, Mm, but, you know, whatever. You know, whatever. (laughs) But there also Um, is another theory, too, that I didn't really go into because I just thought it was very outlandish but um people I don't think it's a huge theory but I came across it that people think that she contracted tuberculosis and that's why she was freaking out in the elevator um yeah so there's apparently there's apparently a theory that um they were studying the effects of tuberculosis and actually injecting people and, and purposely infecting them with tuberculosis uh-huh. and so people speculate that she like went to the doctors and somehow got injected with tuberculosis and then I, I I don't fucking know it just doesn't make sense to me first off if you go to the doctors and contract tuberculosis it's gonna take you more than two fucking days to like get like full of full symptoms and also she was from fucking canada just me 
personally, if I was Canadian and knew I had free fucking healthcare up in Canada, yeah, I wouldn't be going. I'm gonna to wait until I get back to Canada, especially if you're 21. Like, yeah, you don't. Go. You don't have fucking money. No, and also you make your parents schedule your appointments for you. Still, <laughs> don't fucking lie don't lie. To me. <laughs> but anyway, so I didn't really look into that theory because I just thought it was kind of stupid. It is weird though because apparently the whole conspiracy. Uh, it's called the Lamb Elisa. Oh. Which is kind of mind fucky, but I didn't really look into it. If this is something that interests you, um, if you type in, like, I know, Elisa Lamb tuberculosis, I'm sure a couple of articles will come up. Or if there's anyone that's like diehard for that whole entire theory, email us. Yeah. Tell us about it. Explain it to us. Yeah. Or, you know what? Maybe write us a review. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Write Tell us, us how great I did on this episode. Write us a sweet-ass review over on iTunes or on Facebook. Or if you need to be brought back up, you can check out some funny fucking memes on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, sorta. We're a little <laughs> bit late on Twitter sometimes. Like maybe a couple months. Back. Well, that's fine. We'll get there. Um, start your own stuff on Twitter for <laughs> us. And I know that a lot of people recommended this episode when we did our giveaway, so hopefully... You know, I I did the case. I think you did justice. justice. I think you did good. And I purposely kind of left the ending of this episode feeling unfinished because that is unfinished. What this case is is unfinished. Sure is. So I'm sorry that you have to uh, feel a little empty on this burrito, but that's where we're gonna leave it. Sure are. So tune back in next week to get lost in the sauce with us. Uh, like the heart monitor it sure is it's the it's the heart of the podcast (laughs) you can hear that heartbeat the dragon heart (laughs) the burrito heart the burrito heart is guacamole (laughs) why is it guacamole because it's good spicy spicy